go to it. Give me just a second. Although I guess I was close. Luckily, last week we were pretty close to this in Genesis 2. So our scripture reading this morning comes from Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 1 all the way down to verse 9. The snake was the most intelligent of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you shouldn't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the snake, we may eat the fruit of the garden's trees, but not the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden. God said, don't eat from it and don't touch it or you will die. The snake said to the woman, you won't die. God knows that on that day that you eat from it, you will clearly see and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. The woman saw that the tree was beautiful with delicious food and that the tree would provide wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then they both saw clearly and knew that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made garments for themselves. During that day's cool evening breeze, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the Lord God in the middle of the garden's trees. The Lord God called to the man and said, where are you? The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know I... I shouldn't do this, but I kind of take that, that'll be more engaging for the kids thing, challenge, as a challenge. I'll try to get over it. Also, you might be wondering, so we, I said last week that this, the Story Till Now series um, is going to take us through the entire Old Testament, and here we are, the second week of 10 Sundays, and we're in Genesis chapter 3 we got a long ways to go. We will not take it two, two chapters at a time, I promise. But we got to set the stage for how the story comes about. So, please pray with me. Good and great God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight because you, God, and you only are our strength and our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Alexander was definitely having a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day. You'd probably say it was his own fault or maybe his friend's fault. We don't know at this time. But Alexander was driving a Porsche SUV, so fill your head with whatever stereotype that might give you. And then either he or the guy that was with him decided it would be a good thing to terrorize the FedEx truck that they pulled up next to at the red light and shoot at the driver. After shooting at the driver, Alex, Alexander sped off, I guess like you do. The driver stopped and called for help. So, several minutes later, the police identified the Porsche SUV and gave chase to Alexander, who proceeded to crash the Porsche into a building, and then he took off on foot. And it took long enough for the police to adapt their chase to catch him on foot that he ducked into a seemingly empty restaurant, because you know, like they do on the shows, to go in the front door and come out the back door. The restaurant was almost entirely abandoned. There were only people at one table. But as the video from inside the restaurant shows, that table was entirely full of police officers who were eating lunch. 
Alexander has been charged with attempted murder, possession of a stolen vehicle. So now get that Porsche reputation or stereotype out of your head. And a few of the charges. Yeah, it was definitely a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for Alexander. But then there's Edward and Cheryl Patton. They didn't have just a bad day. They noticed at some point, and I don't know how many days into this you notice a pattern, but somebody kept throwing a paper coffee cup from a local fast food restaurant in their front yard, just littering in their front yard. And, and it kept happening day after day. And they, they collected these cups for some odd reason to keep track. It went on for three years. They enlisted neighbors to help them catch this guy who was apparently pretty deceptive and, and installed cameras and all these things. Finally, they caught him. They caught Larry Pope. And when Cheryl Patton found out it was Larry Pope, it began to make a little bit of sense because she and Larry had worked together for several years, years ago, and she said that they disagreed on numerous union-related issues and that Pope had often threatened and insulted her. Have you ever had such a grudge against somebody that you committed yourself every day to throw litter in their yard? Have you ever had, you've had a disagreement with somebody, right? Have you, had a, have you had an argument with anybody today? I know it's early yet, there's still time. Today we pick up where we left off last week with the story till now. Last week was good. Everything was good. It was good. It was good. It was very good. It was supremely good. Do you know any other words for good? For very good? Let me hear you. Fantastic. Excellent. Superb. Amazing. Awesome. Great. Right. So that's how the story, that's our story, that is our God story starts. Really, really good, superb, fantastic, awesome, excellent, all those things. But like any good story, it doesn't stay that way. Any good story also has conflict. My English teachers would be cheering a little bit right now if they knew that I caught that much. There was no conflict in last week's story. There's no conflict in creation. There was even no, no, no conflict, no violence in the way our God created in our story. It's all good all the time, except when it gets better than good. But I want to make sure that this point was clear, that the story unfolds starting with good and then there's conflict because too often we hear stories like the story of Alexander, or the story of Larry Pope and the Patents, and we forget that everything started good. Because when we hear those stories, we do think less of people like Larry Pope and Alexander and the guy that rode with Alexander and did the shooting. But we also, as people of God, we recognize within ourselves the ability maybe not to shoot up a FedEx driver, maybe not to hold a grudge enough to throw a coffee cup in somebody's yard every day for three years, but, but we at least recognize in ourselves this, this propensity to, to fail, to do something wrong, to 
mess up. To bring conflict into the story. Our story started with creation, but today it moves into frustration. You know frustration. Sometimes it's frustration with yourself because you really want to start acting a certain way, but you can't seem to bring yourself to do so. You know frustration when you really want to stop doing something and you don't seem to have the strength to do that. The frustration of not being able to live completely faithfully to the calling that God has in our lives. It's like there's something broken inside of you. I want you to know I'm being very careful in telling this story this way. Instead of the way that, that I think we've kind of trained ourselves to hear it. Because... I'm not going to tell the story as though we are all hopelessly hateful or agonizingly antagonistic all the time. I'm telling the story the way I believe the Bible tells it, which means that it starts with God, it starts with good, it starts with God and humans in relationship, and then it takes a turn. It, 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 conflict enters. And it turns out we are not entirely trustworthy beings. We're also not entirely trusting beings either. I mean, Julie, you read for you, for you the first three verses, or the, uh, the first nine verses of Genesis chapter 3, and there we see the start, the, the earliest evidence of this conflict, of this brokenness, of, 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 of a serpent coming to the woman who had been created and saying, did God really say this? And this woman who knows clearly that, that this God who created her wants to live in a relationship doesn't go to God and say, yeah, somebody asked me, did you really say this? No. She lets these words seep into her brokenness and she gives in. And then it's only a chapter later that we have her two sons and that first man's two sons and one of them kills the other one because the other one's sacrifice was acceptable and his wasn't and then within a couple of chapters see we're moving along chapter wise here we get the whole story of of noah which starts with this the lord saw humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil, which is an overstatement. And I know that because right after that, it says that, oh, but Noah, God looked at Noah and said, oh, he's okay, we can work with him. So in our brokenness, we also tend to overstate our brokenness. And so God, in this story in Genesis 6 through 9, God looks at all this brokenness and all this sin and failure and weakness. And you know the story, decides to start over and chooses Noah and his family and, and tells Noah how to make a boat. You've seen the movie. And Noah makes a boat, gets all the animals in it. He could have let the fire ants out. It's one of those things I'm going to ask God about someday. 
And then after the waters recede and the ark lands, then God makes a covenant with Noah. And it says in Genesis 9, he made this covenant not just with Noah, but with every living thing. And God put a rainbow in the sky and said to Noah in 9:17, this is the sign of the covenant I've established between me and all the life on the earth. Well, he's talking to Noah. How's the rest of the earth supposed to know about this covenant? One, there's a rainbow. Two, it's up to Noah and the rest of us to share that good news because our story is still for everyone. Our story starts with God. It is good. It includes God creating us for a relationship. And then there's frustration or brokenness or, yeah, I used this word once before, but not at the start of the service, the word sin. I didn't use the word sin sooner because though I believe sin is real, I think, and hear me out, I think we've made too much of it. Or maybe we've misinterpreted it. The word sin doesn't appear in that Genesis 3 story with the serpent and the woman. I'm also not naming her Eve yet because she wasn't named Eve until after that experience in the garden with the serpent. And she was named Eve by the man. Um, Eve is mother of, of all the living, so the man basically names the woman for what she does for him. And there's a whole lot of story in there for us these days, men and women, but we don't have time for all the stories within the story. But the word sin first occurs in Genesis 4, where God says to Cain, before Cain kills Abel, if you do the right thing, won't you be accepted? But if you do, don't do the right thing, sin will be waiting at the door, ready to strike. It will entice you, but you must rule over it. Sin means missing the mark. It's, it's from archery or spear throwing. It means there's a target out there and you're trying to hit it, but you can't quite do it. See, I say we, we, we've overdone sin or we've read it wrongly because we read sin as though you're not even really trying to hit the mark anymore. Okay, to be fair, when we read our own, talk about our own sin, yeah, I'm trying to hit the mark, I just can't, God. But when we talk about the sins of other people, especially people that we don't like or have some difference from us, then we, we think, well, they're not even aiming at the target. They're turning around shooting the other way. The attitude we've developed Toward sin is downright sinful. For the first 300 years of the church's life, sin was understood mostly as a disease, not the violation of a list of things. And I think it helps us, and I think it's fair to the story, for us to think of sin that way, of brokenness, of, of even when we try on our own, we tend to fail. It happened with Adam and Eve. It happened with Cain, who killed his brother Abel. It happened throughout the world in Noah's days, enough that God said, you know, Noah, let's start over. Go build a boat. But one of the good things that comes out of this story, and we'll be coming back to this word throughout the rest of the story, is God made a covenant with Noah. It's the first time the word covenant appears in the scripture as well. Covenant is, is kind, of, it's kind of a religious fancy word for contract, except for this very important different, 
difference. A contract, at least in modern terms, is a document that adversaries or different parties make that, that we don't really trust each other, but we agree to trust this contract. And we both trust the contract, and we both pledge in the contract to do certain things. And I don't trust you to do those things, but, but you signed a contract, so you'll do them. And you don't trust me to do certain things, but I signed a contract, so I'll do them. So we don't trust each other, but we trust the contract. And a covenant is different than that. And I share this especially with couples when they're getting married, because marriage is a covenant. Because marriage is not to be entered into adversarially. You might have been in an adversarial marriage. There's probably some adversarialism in your marriage. If there are two human beings involved, there comes times of, of we're adversaries at this. But remember, a covenant is not something that adversaries do because they don't trust each other. A covenant is an agreement that people make even if they do trust and love each other. And so the agreement, the covenant that God made with all of us is to put a rainbow in the sky and remind God that God would never destroy all the earth again. Now, our side of the covenant, there's quite a few details on, on this, but uh, the first one, the one that comes out clearly several times in Genesis 9 is be fruitful and multiply. Well, we accomplished that. If you ever say you can't do anything God tells you to do, there's almost 8 billion of us. We become so numerous that we develop, develop technology. And yes, there's technology this early in the Bible. The story is they made bricks. And when they made bricks, they could build buildings. And when they could build buildings, they could build a tower to the heavens. To um, Genesis says, to make a name for ourselves. Now, if they're the only ones there, why did they have to make a name for themselves? This is a hint, I think, the Genesis writer tells us that, that they've separated from where this story started. This story starts with God, and it starts good, and it starts with God in a relationship with us. Well, why would we think we have to make a name for ourselves before God? Because we've forgotten that this God is a relational God, not somebody far off in heaven that we have to impress with our technology or our building abilities. There was all of us, and there was God. And at this point, we step back and notice that one of the things that Genesis does, more than any other book in the Scripture, I think, is it has stories within the story that explain various things about the world. The creation story, it doesn't just talk about God and good and the relationship, but it talks about how everything got here explains why there's man and woman. It explains why the people whose story this is rest on the seventh day. And then it explains, as we've talked about today, the moral failure, the distrust, the mistrust that comes from our brokenness within us. It explains having children and sibling rivalry. But remember, after Cain kills Abel, and God comes and talks to him, and Cain says, well, well, they'll kill me. And God put a mark on Cain to protect him because this God recognizes our brokenness, 
and still loves us and still wants us. That's clear from the earliest chapters of our story. And then the flood story explains the rainbow. The Tower of Babel story explains why there are so many different nations and tribes and groups of people and languages. So one of the functions of stories is to explain things like this for people. A word for the kind of story that explains this kind of thing is a myth. So sometimes stories in the Bible are called myth, not because somebody's claiming that they're made up, they're not real, they're not true, but because it does more than just tell you the details of the story. It explains something about our life and our world and how we understand these things. Because with all those cultural creations or cultural practices that the story explains, we go back to the main thing it says is that God started everything, that God created us in God's own image for relationship with God. So even in our brokenness, in our sin, in our moral weakness, we can't turn God's love away from us. Not even after we spread out over the whole planet and created hundreds of different languages. In fact, like Adam and Eve, you may have had the experience of God coming to you, walking in the garden during the day's cool breezes, as Genesis says, calling to you. I mean, you thought that that's what happened in the story. The man and the woman had eaten the fruit from the one tree God told them not to eat from, and they're naked and they're ashamed, so they make clothes, and the next thing that happens is not God's condemnation, it's God coming, walking in the garden, calling, where are you? God continues to invite us to answer to respond, to step out from where we're hiding from whatever we're doing because we haven't really hidden from God. Have you tried to hide from God? How long did it take you after you tried to hide from God to realize how silly it is to hide from God? One, because God can find you, but maybe even more important for us today is because God's not looking for you to condemn you but God still wants a relationship with you. So what's next in our story after today? Another step towards getting where we are. But before we get there, next Sunday we have a, a treat. We're going to pause for a week and we're going to celebrate how God's been at work through the generosity of Ovilla United Methodist Church and other churches to share this great story around the world. Next Sunday, John and Becky Leverington, who have long been longtime missionaries in Turkey, will be with us, sharing with us some of their ministry and some of their story. And they're doing that because this church has been a sponsor of them for a long time. And it's always good. It's good for us to share generously so that ministry happens around the world but it's also good for us to get to hear some of the stories of how our generosity has supported this work around the world, sharing this story around the world. Because how else is the whole world supposed to know about the covenant that God made with Noah and the later covenants that we're going to find out about in, in subsequent weeks of this series? The covenants that God made with Noah, with all the creatures of the earth, with all the people, what's well, up to us? 
we can let all the world know that it started out good. Then it got bad. It got terrible, horrible, no good, very bad. But even in the midst of the bad, God still walks among us and calls to us. That's who God was in Genesis 3. That's who God is today. That's who God will always be.